Welcome to the ultimate NFC East crossover edition of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are here with Patricia Trainer from Locked On Giants, Chris Russell of Locked On Washington. Uh, I guess we'll have to we'll we'll go with Locked On Washington right now as we wait for a a new name for our, our uh, team over there in the NFC East, and then Gino Camarelli from Locked On Eagles. I am Locked On, or I'm Locked On Cowboys. Marcus Mosier hosting this edition of the podcast. Um, Patricia, let's, let's talk about the New York Giants. They finished third in the NFC East, uh, during the 2019 season. Uh, a lot of change going on with this Giants team with a new coaching staff, a new offensive coordinator and Jason Garrett. Uh, but I want to start with the Leonard Williams news. Uh, was it shocking to you? Uh, first of all, that the team franchise Leonard Williams, and then they did not come to a long-term deal. Obviously they're going to have a little bit of time to negotiate that over the next couple of days. Uh, but is that surprising news to you? Not so much uh, that it's surprising. I, I got to admit it. First, I thought they would use the transition tag on Leonard Williams. But then, you know, obviously if they use the transition tag. There's always the possibility that he could go to another team and then they don't get have any chance of getting a comp pick. Not that they're assured of a comp pick now um, if they lose him, you know, next year. But I'm not surprised that they weren't able to come to an agreement. Um, you kind of saw it coming because back when Leonard Williams got the franchise tag, it was for defensive tackle, and he filed a grievance looking to be classified as a defensive end, and I think it's like a $1.1 million difference. We're not talking a whole lot of money. I mean, maybe to us it's a lot of money, but to an NFL player it's not. So you, you kind of had a hit right then and there that the Giants and Leonard Williams maybe weren't on the same page. And it just it just didn't get any better. Um, Leonard Williams is, you know, he's not a sack monster like, like an Aaron Donald or, you know, a Khalil Mack or any of those blue goose pass rushers, as Dave Gettleman likes to call them. But, you know, he, he's good in that he, he, you know, first of all, he upgraded the Giants run defense when he came over and he creates opportunities for other guys. And I think there was a, a discrepancy between what he thought he was worth, what the Giants thought he was worth. And I think especially if you go back and you look at a couple of years ago when the Giants had a new head coach in Pat Shermer at the time, you might recall that the Giants had signed receiver Odell Beckham Jr. to a long-term contract before Beckham even set foot on the field for Shermer. And the first year, you know, it started out okay, and then it got a little rocky. And then what happened? The Giants, you know, ended up trading Beckham the next year because, you know, he just kind of wore out his welcome. And they got saddled with a lot of dead money on the cap, which basically hamstrung the team last year. So I think the Giants are kind of proceeding cautiously now with Williams. Williams is not necessarily a distraction the way Beckham was. But it's the same situation. You don't want to give the guy, you know, a, a gazillion dollars or whatever it is he thinks he's worth. And then you find out that he's not a fit or he doesn't, you know, do what you need him to do in the scheme that you're running. So it's kind of like a, a I hate to use this expression because it's very costly, but it's a try before you buy type of deal with Leonard Williams. And, you know, I think if he doesn't 
step up, if he's not a fit for what they want to run, run, they're going to let him walk next year. I mean, I just can't see them keeping him if he's not going to deliver the goods. Patricia, it's uh, Chris Russell here from uh, Locked On, whatever my team is called. Um, you, you know, I, I know, you know, the Leonard Williams situation is complicated and there's other issues on that defense, but I would have to imagine there's no bigger complicated issue than the DeAndre Baker situation tied in with former Washington corner Quentin Dunbar. And I know there's been a lot of new reporting and some new developments and innuendo and rumors and speculation, but uh, this giant defense desperately needs him, right? A former first round pick not too long ago. What is the status of him moving forward in your opinion? And do you expect him to be with the team, say week one of the NFL season? No, I, I actually don't, Chris. Um, DeAndre Baker, first, let's let's back up a little bit and go back to when this incident, alleged incident happened. Um, that happened in mid-May. And at the time, there were you know whispers that DeAndre Baker wasn't a regular attendee at the uh, off-season conditioning program that was held virtually. Um, I don't know how much of that is true, but I had seen several reports saying that he was a sporadic attendee at the uh, virtual off-season program. So with that said, now comes along this incident and you have a new defense that you are trying to teach everybody. And, um, you know, the Giants turn around and say, okay, you know what, DeAndre, you've got some issues here that you need to resolve. You focus on that. Don't worry about football. He's just probably fallen so far behind on what they are doing or what they want to do. And you've got to remember Joe Judge, the new head coach, said, you know, because they weren't able to have a normal offseason, the idea was to learn the intricacies of the offense and the defense so that when they did hit the field, they could hit the ground running, so to speak. And DeAndre Baker's just missed so much time at this point. And then there's the other factor here, and that is the distraction factor. Even if, you know, the case were dropped tomorrow, which, you know, I don't think is going to be the case. um, I think that, that, it may go to trial. I don't know, but uh, it has been an unusual case with a lot of twists and turns. But um, he's just—it's going to be a, basically a, a distraction for this team because you know people are going to want to know what happened. You know, teammates are going to—you know—I don't know if teammates will necessarily ask him, but you figure the media will probably try to hound him, and if not him, his teammates. What do you think about this? What's going on? We saw that so many times I hate to say it but you know the last several years the Giants have just been more about distractions than about football and I know Joe Judge does not want distractions in that locker room he wants them focused on football and you know I I just see DeAndre Baker um, you know depending on what happens with his legal case landing on the commissioner's exempt list if he is somehow found guilty um, they're going to cut their t- cut their ties with him. I don't think they're going to do it just yet because the Giants like to wait and have all the facts come out and just let the process play out. But uh, I think definitely a spot on the commissioner's exemption list is in the cards for DeAndre Baker. Hi, Patricia. Gino Camilleri from the Lockdown Eagles podcast. Uh, I remember talking to you about, probably about this time last year we were doing a crossover, and I had asked you the question of who do you think would – be the leader in pressure on that defensive line last year. And you had a great answer in saying Marcus Golden and um, Lorenzo Carter would probably be right up there. And I, I have that same question for you again this year. 
right now Golden has less than 10 days before his tender is up. I think it's July 22nd is the date when that would become official if he were to return to New York or go to a suitor that were to sign him. If he does come back, do you expect him to have another season like he did last year? And who do you really think is going to be an X factor in, in creating some pressure and getting to the quarterback for this Giants front? Well, I think Golden is definitely going to be motivated. You know, he hit free agency. He was looking for the big payday. He didn't get it. And, you know, without speaking for the gentleman, I, I have to believe that he's not a very happy camper, you know, because what does the guy have to do? He had double digit sacks and, you know, not a lot of guys can claim they had double digit sacks. And here he is. He's being paid like a number two pass rusher as opposed to a number one. So I happen to think that he's going to be extremely motivated to show that last year wasn't a fluke. You know, James Betcher, um, his defensive coordinator last year, and the guy who, remember, he excelled under when, when they were in Arizona, Betcher is not here anymore. So, you know, there might have been some doubt around the league's you know, people thinking, oh, okay, he's only excelled in Betcher's system. Let's see what he does with uh, Patrick Graham, for example. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But uh, regarding guys to keep an eye on, you know, a lot of people point to Kyler Fackrell, who came over from Green Bay. But I'm going to give you a different guy that I'm going to keep an eye on, and that is O'Shane Zimenez. You mentioned X marks the spot or the X factor. We're going with the X man here. Hmm. O'Shane Zimenez is a guy that I really liked last year. You know, he was a third-round pick, one of the draft picks acquired in the Odell Beckham Jr. trade out of Old Dominion, showed mm -hmm. a lot of promise, a quick first step, kind of reminded me a lot of a very young OCU Minura with his tool set. And it was no coincidence, actually, because OCU Minura was a, a player that he studied and he admired growing up. So I just think I could see O'Shane Zimenez if he put in the time, if he comes in stronger, can anchor a little bit better against the run, set that edge. I could see him challenging for the team lead in sacks in 2020. You are listening to the Ultimate NFC East crossover podcast. We will be right back to continue our 2020 preview of the New York Giants with Patricia Trena. We are back here with Patricia Trena of Locked On Giants to discuss uh, the New York Giants heading into the 2020 season. Um, Patricia, I have to ask, what are the expectations for Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator uh, going into this season? Um, he's obviously somebody who Cowboy fans are very familiar with. Uh, are Giants fans getting excited about Garrett and what he can bring to the Giants offense? Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people did not react, you know, favorably when Jason Garrett was announced as the offensive coordinator, because, you know, they, they saw him as a guy who, uh, what's the old expression, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Sure. Um, but, but <laughs> still, if you look at the offenses that, that have run down there in Dallas, they've been very potent. They've been very productive. They've been amongst the league leaders in scoring and passing in uh, yardage and, uh, you know, rushing a couple of times. So, you know, I know down in Dallas, Jason Garrett had other offensive coordinators and passing game coordinators and all that stuff, but it all kind of funnels back through him because he is an offensive minded coach. And I'm sure his fingerprints were all over, you know, what, the Cowboys ran for the last 10 or so years. So with that said, I think, you know, more and more people are starting to 
um, warm up to the idea of Jason Garrett being here in New York. And one of the reasons why I think you have to be excited about it is Jason Garrett is a former NFL quarterback. And his experience is going to be invaluable to Daniel Jones, who is entering just a second season. I mean, look, the you know, Eli Manning is not going to be there anymore. And he was he was the voice of reason, the guy who's been there, done that, seen it all. Jason Garrett, you know, and I'm not trying to take away from Jerry Shlupinski, who's the quarterback's coach of the Giants. But Jason Garrett has played the game. He's been there. He's done that. He can kind of replace Eli Manning in that regard. And, and the other thing about Jason Garrett that I think you've got to like if you're a Giant fan is he's a little bit more creative. You know, you see what he does with the tight ends, for example. Whereas what the Giants have done with the tight ends in the past, you know, having Evan Ingram, who, in my opinion, should be used more like a receiver. But, you know, now you are asking him to block uh, defensive ends and bigger guys who outweigh him by 30, 40 pounds, just not the best use of his talents. You have um, Saquon Barkley, who can do it all. And yet... um, you look at the offenses of the last two years and, and um, you know, a lot of inside zone runs, which were not very effective, you know, and all the times we saw Saquon Barkley line up in the slot or out wide, and we just didn't see it when it came to the game. So I think Jason Garrett brings some creativity. I think he has a, a really good understanding of the game and who has, you know, just, seen it. And I think that's what Jason Garrett can bring to this table. Patricia, once again, it's Gino Camilleri from the Lockdown Eagles podcast. Another question for you. I I just love looking at position groups, especially because The Athletic came out with an article ranking position groups throughout the division. And right now I look at your receiver room and I see Golden Tate and I see Sterling Shepard. Darius Slayton is a name that pops out to me, but outside of those three, it seems to be competition galore back there. Who do you think is in the lead for wide receiver four or five and maybe even six if they were to keep him? I'm a huge Benjamin Victor fan from Ohio State. He was arguably my favorite Ohio State receiver coming out of the class last year. He was undrafted, and I think he has a good chance to make the team, but let me hear what you have to think about that receiver room. Well, I think first off, you have to give a spot to Cody Core, you know, for special teams, mm-hmm. if nothing else. A guy who I don't expect a whole lot of from uh, what from a wide receiver perspective, but definitely he's going to get a spot because he was probably one of their best, if not their best, uh, special teamer last year. I think Corey Coleman is a guy you have to keep an eye on for maybe the fourth receiver. Corey Coleman is coming off of an ACL. Um, if he can recapture his speed and his quickness and elusiveness that he had prior to that injury, they might just have something there. You know, Coleman, I know he's bounced around the league a little bit, the former number one pick of the Browns a few years ago. But having spoken with him, he feels like he has found a home here in New York with the Giants. And he was really looking forward to, you know, having a full off season last year and, 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 building on what he had started the year before. And then, of course, unfortunately, the injury happened. And you're right. You know, the Giants did sign three undrafted uh, free agents, which if you think about it, given how deep that that uh, receiver class was, a guy who went undrafted this year might have been a, I don't know, a fifth or a sixth rounder mm-hmm. in other years. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the Giants, you know, they they 
skipped over the receiver spot. I don't agree with that. Um, I'm not sure right now who I would say has the advantage because to be honest with you, I haven't done, a whole, I haven't been able to scrape up a whole lot of film work mm-hmm. on everybody to, to make a, 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 an educated guess. I know each guy brings something special to the table. And ideally what I think they would like to see maybe is they would like to see maybe a nice tall receiver emerge from the group to give Daniel Jones that target that he hasn't really had um, Darius Slayton, I think, is the tallest receiver he has. But it's interesting because a few weeks ago I spoke with former Giant receiver David Tyree, and we were talking about um, the receivers. And I said, you know, what do you think of the group he has? This in kind of in response to Amani Toomer saying that the Giant receivers were lacking, which I don't necessarily agree with. But um, Tyree made a good point. He said, look, you go back and you look at Eli Manning when he was a young quarterback and he had a tall receiver who was a clutch guy, you know, he had Amani Toomer or he had Plaxico Burris and that helped his development. It helped get him comfortable and whatnot. And, and he said, you know, Daniel Jones really didn't have that last year. And he, he thought it would just be a good idea if somehow, some way the Giants could add a tall receiver to the mix, you know, not, not to take away, you know, from the, the top three guys they have, uh, Tate, Shepard, and uh, Slayton, but just add to that. And uh, he thought that that would really put them over the top there. Patricia, it's uh, Chris Russell again, locked on uh, Washington here. So, you know, the offensive line of this team, I mean, they spent a high first round asset value uh, in Andrew Thomas, uh, spent a lot of money on Nate Solder. I, I was never really a huge Nate Solder guy in New England, but I, I, I know opinions differ. I, I know in talking to you recently, uh, they, um, uh, the, the young guard Hernandez kind of struggled a little bit. How do you how do you make heads or tails out of this offensive line, and, and how hard is it going to be for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and Jason Garrett to kind of run this offense if the offensive line doesn't take uh, what seems to be a pretty big jump that they have to take? Well, to answer your second question, it's going to be very difficult because, you know, look, it all starts up front. If you don't win in the pit, you're not going to win games. It's that simple. We saw it with the Giants, you know, how they struggled and how, you know, Saquon Barkley would get dumped for a loss on on those inside zone runs. We saw Daniel Jones, you know, having to run for his life and before him, Eli Manning. So it does start up front. As far as how I see that offensive line shaping up, um, you know, initially I thought Andrew Thomas might go to the left tackle. And then uh, I, I had a, I did a show with Brandon Thorne, who's a very well-noted um, offensive line guru. He writes for The Athletic amongst mm-hmm. other places. And we had a discussion about that. And he said, you know, it'll probably be easier for Andrew Thomas to flip from left tackle where he's played the last couple of years in, at the University of Georgia to right tackle. And plus, you want to put him next to Kevin Zeitler, who has been the Giants' most consistent offensive lineman. No disrespect to Will Hernandez, but as you pointed out, he did struggle last year. And by the way, I think his struggles were a result of, you know, Nate Solder having his struggles and then center uh, John Halapio, who was a terrific guy, by the way, he had his struggles. So, you know, your hope for the offensive line is that this year Nate Solder is healthy, which I don't think he was at any point last year. You hope that um, 
the answer at center, whether that's Spencer Pulley, whether that's Shane Lemieux, or it could be Nick Gates, whoever that answer is, that he plays a little bit better and you have a nice solid uh, push in that interior. And then you put Andrew Thomas over on that right side and let him learn and communicate and grow that first year next to Kevin Zeitler, your most consistent offensive lineman. Where I am most concerned, though, is at center because I don't feel the Giants have enough depth. You know, if they had a regular offseason, I'd say, okay, you know what? I can live with the thought of Shane Lemieux or, or Nick Gates playing center. They didn't. So it's a very bad year to be initiating a position switch or to you know, say, hey, we're going to put a guy who's never played the position in a live game at the starting spot, especially when you have a second year quarterback who is still kind of feeling his way around. If that were like Eli Manning or even Colt McCoy, um, who's seen it and done it, I'd, I'd feel a little bit better about it. But, you know, you have to take that into consideration. So I'm curious to see what happens at center right now. I think that is the biggest question mark on the Giants offensive line. All right, folks, you have been listening to the Ultimate NFC East Crossover Podcast brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network. Just wanted to thank Patricia, Gino, and Chris for joining this show. Make sure you tune in next time as I sit on the hot seat to discuss the Dallas Cowboys heading into the 2020 NFL season.